Digital transformation is a big issue for many companies. It's also a huge opportunity, depending on how you work with it. With me today is Bill Saunders, who is the founding and managing director of Roebling Strauss, which is a business transformation and process innovation consultancy in the San Francisco Bay Area. And what Bill brings to this conversation is a whole lot of instinct and know-how to work with the operational implications of digital transformation, particularly both on people and how they interact with the formal systems. My name is Donna Jones. You're listening to the Inspirational Insights from Insight to Action podcast. Forgot to mention, Bill is also the one of the co-authors of the From Hierarchy to High Performance book that we just put out under Great Work Cultures. I'll add that Bill's helped more than a couple of hundred organizations, global brands like Google, Microsoft, Pepsi, General Mills, Lipton. It goes on. <laughs> he's, uh, he's worked internationally and also just an awesome colleague and, and wonderful person. So, Bill, let's talk about the, the whole implication on operations of digital transformation and, and what that means. So uh, why don't we start with digital transformation just as a working definition what does it mean to you in particular as it refers to operational application? Thanks, Donna. Happy to be here. I really think you you got to look at what point of view you want to look at digital transformation from before you start trying to define it. I think there's really good definitions for it from internally from a company's internal point of view, but there's also more the the external view of it, and that's something like you know USC Annenberg Center for the Digital Future studies what's happening what's changing about everything across all these industries because of the individual decisions and the individual innovations that are happening throughout the culture. And so from, from that outside, there's this digital transformation that's being forced upon us because of this, you know, series of innovations, both in business model and in the way business gets done to the adaptations that individual people are making. And so from that point of view, I don't know that anybody has a a really great definition of it, but it's important to say when we're talking about digital transformation, which side are we talking about? From the internal company standpoint of it, I I just don't think there's a better definition out there right now than my friend uh, Brian Solis has. I'm going to read it uh, because he's been working on this for a couple, you know, several years now, and it's evolved over time. Digital transformation is the evolving pursuit of innovative and agile business and operational models fueled by evolving technologies, processes, analytics, and talent capabilities to create new value and experiences for customers, employees, and stakeholders. If I simplify that down, it's that the real digital transformation happening in businesses has to be a holistic approach to adapting to that external definition. And it has to be driven from a value point of view. Operations has to be a part of it from the very get-go. This is not just strictly changing out your IT stack. One of the things about digital transformation in my world is that it's such a general term that people don't actually grapple what it means because they're so used to change coming, you know, like a head on. It's face on. I can see it. I can feel it. But you can't do that with digital transformation. It's it's more like it sidles up to you and and undercuts your business model. And all of a sudden you're asking yourselves, how do we, you know, how do we stay alive? It's It sort of can take you very quickly from functional to not. Any observations that you want to add? 
yeah, I think the value is not getting blindsided. The, the speed of change, which is a lot of what we talk about uh, in our book, it is forcing companies to not just look at their technology, but to look at how they're actually getting work done and where the value is that they're supplying all along the execution chain. So when we start talking about you know digital transformation, are we just responding to the outside forces or are we actually deliberately transforming the way we deal with digital and the way we deal with marketing, the way we deal with delivery internal to the organization? I see a lot of uh, really great digital transformation strategies that then get their big strategies always sexy, right? Uh, we get the strategy in place and then we tell a group of people to go do it. And right alongside all the change that they have to manage, they're also having to produce what's in front of them right now. And as we all know, the urgent frequently gets in front of the important and takes priority. And so if there's not a, 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 a disciplined approach to making sure that those, that that digital transformation in initiative actually gains traction inside the organization, they're just as likely to fail as a like a post-merger integration, right? We see this all the time. All the homework gets done up front in M&A. And then post-merger, it's like, okay, you, you guys go put all the stuff together and, and make it work. And it just, we let it drift and, and grow organically instead of deliberately putting in place the processes and the people and the teams that are necessary to get traction on it and embed it, implement it inside the organization. So to a degree, what I'm hearing in that, that answer you just gave is that you've got issues that are going to come and yell at you loud and clear. And then you've got the digital transformational stuff, which is more of a, an insurance policy for the, you know, for, for future proofing, if you will, uh, for, for a company, for its sustainability as, a, as an economic engine. And, and the two are, are quite different. Yes, they're quite different. And frequently we're asking the same people to lead the day-to-day operations, as well as the change in operational initiative that's there. If those charters are not very clear and time and investment decisions are not made up front, everybody's looking for utilization, right? I mean, how, how do we make sure that we're actually doing things that add value to the chain here and add value to the end consumer if we don't have a certain amount of time and budget and expectations, a P&L even, on the digital transformation initiative put in place up front, it's very hard to make those prioritization decisions, and it's very hard to hold people accountable uh, to what you want to have happen with that strategy. Well, and equally, I would think, you know, if you're used to just from an operational standpoint dealing with crisis, having running two threads, one which is crisis-driven and the other one which is more strategically driven is 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 challenging because they you're you're habitually trained to respond to the crisis not so much the the strategic side of it at least from an operational point of view am i wrong there or well uh, uh, you're right but uh, one build on that is most people are already running two streams right they're running normal production and crisis right we're adding that we're adding yet a third one in terms of now we're asking you to, to do something strategically as well so what's the answer? Because this, this really marks the place where 
Organizations are stressing their people out quite simply because they're not aware of the fact they have added a third stream. And, and it's really putting a completely different kind of pressure on, on the people that are tasked with implementing it. What are some of the solutions we should be exploring there? Well, I think one of the solutions that's become quite helpful on the, on the M&A side, for example, is having that external PMI, the post-merger integration guidance from an external team, right? I mean, and it sounds a little uh, self-promotional because that's the kind of stuff that we do. But it really is having someone that has their eye on that particular ball while we make this transition and make sure that they are not caught up in the other two streams of crisis and production. They're there, they see it, they take account, they take it into account in the decision-making and prioritization process, but they make sure that the changes need to take place. Obviously, because this change is coming all the time, you also have to build in the new capacity within the team to continue to, to monitor and watch those changes that need to be made because you can't keep those people around all the time. That's, that's why they're valuable. They come in with a level of expertise to make the big initiative change, and then they help build in uh, the skill sets to manage that going forward. But without building the skill set first, asking the team to do it is uh, often not a recipe for success. Yeah, well, it's hardly fair either. So so this is what you're, what you're talking about here is something I would think of as oversight. It's the, This is where the real value of being on the outside comes into play because things are so complex, it's virtually impossible for anyone on the inside to see everything. It's You, you really have to train that capacity, but, but it's also, I think, going to have its limitations quite simply because of the... Uh, just what you know the visibility of these kinds of of layers in an organization and this is why this stuff fails right strategy rarely as alan weiss says strategy rarely fails in formulation it fails in implementation because implementation is not the sexy part right this is the roll up the sleeves and get your hands dirty and and make sure things get done at the detailed level We've moved to a place where where everyone that's both inside and outside of the companies really has to work on the culture together. And there used to be this big belief that experts, the internal know-it-all and outsiders just come in and, and don't really add much. I, I don't believe that's true. Yes, I've been an outsider for 30-something years myself, but but I don't think that's true. I just don't think it's possible uh, nor fair. So in in this kind of role that you play as an outsider, when you're going into organizations where some of the operational habits are deeply ingrained and they have to adapt, what what happens there in the relationship between your outside expertise and inside expertise? Good question. Well, I'd say the interesting thing is it really depends on the outside expertise point of view and the framework that they bring to the table. Particularly the way I approach this is I realize that I'm only going to be here for a short period of time. And if I really want to bring my expertise to bear, it has to be married with the expertise of the people that are going to continue to run and operate things after I leave. So my approach is to co-create everything that we do. Uh, every process that is that is changed has to be uh, in, in teamwork, uh, with the team that's going to run it after I leave. And what happens is that builds understanding. Uh, it surfaces assumptions that are being made both from my point of view and from uh, the people that are going to be operating things. And it, it builds a shared 
set of commitments to the solutions that we co-create together. So when I leave, they own it. Right. And it's very different than, uh, you know, a lot of traditional stuff, which is come in. Okay. We've heard this, heard from this set of stakeholders and this set of stakeholders, and we've devised the solution. And now we're going to train you on how to use that solution. The, the natural condition of the garden is weeds. Uh, people are not looking for that kind of uh, feedback, direction, change, but they get very excited when you let them bring their expertise and passion and uh, about their job and how to make it work better. What, what you're really able to build on is what, what they already have, they, you know, some intuition that they already have about how things could be improved. I need to look up an article I just flew by in the last couple of days. Someone had referred to it. Uh, I think it was actually published in 2018 that shows that we, we want people to take ownership in organizations, but we're actually only giving them responsibility where we're only using about 30% of their, their actual capabilities. Wow. That's interesting. I found it fascinating is that we, we say we want one thing and yet our old ways of thinking, our ways of working, our processes and procedures are, are not utilizing the real expertise that that's at the front line of, of the business. Well, now you've nailed something that I think is a major risk for pretty much every company that's out there. And that's the difference between what we say we, we do and what we you know want to do versus how we actually do it. It's because this is where those patterns, those ingrained patterns that keep an organization feeling safe, secure, complacent in, in the worst case, and or just flat out asleep in a, some kind of hypnotic state, put them at risk. So you know, when you go in and you've got these really ingrained kind of patterns that you're working with operationally, how do you help them adapt? Is that readily seen? Is the value of, of adapting these things readily seen? Or is there such an attachment to the security of doing the same thing, you know, repetitively, a real holding pattern? Well, it, it really depends on how it's delivered and how the, how it's communicated. Right. If you've come in and say, we just need to change things, uh, people look at immediately, well, how does this impact me? Right. How, how, how does this make my life more difficult, less difficult? And if we come into the beginning of what are, what are the objectives for this change? And if they're aligned with uh, the individual's self-interest, both in their career, what they're learning, uh, what skill set they're trying to acquire, and those conversations are had up front, then those folks frequently have suggestions. They have insights. They're closer to the customers frequently. Uh, they're closer to the process. They, they, they know where waste is. And if you can get them involved in the creative solution that is both matched to their needs and the company's needs in the process – they get fully involved. And then again, they end up owning the solution and it's, it's a, it's a custom solution for that organization. I, I know you've got an intuitive uh, way of seeing the undercurrents in organizations and you can see that very clearly. Whereas a lot of people both in the organization and, and others that would be outside of it can't really see how these patterns are running the show and how they interrelate and what kind of havoc they're causing when you're trying to be adaptive at all. I'm curious about um, about just 
where these blind sides exist in current operational mindsets. Well, I think one of the one of the blind sides is a lot of things operate on an unspoken layer within the culture of an existing company that's been around for a while. Uh, especially if the, if the large majority of the people that are in that company have also been in that industry for a while. They have a, a set of expectations about what customer service means, about what adding value means, about everything as we as it gets more and more complex, in order to simplify it, we build models. And if everybody's working from the same model, you have uh, the positive thing is, is you get speed and traction with it. The negative thing is, is if you're not very careful, you can lose your inno- the innovative side of it, which is why, again, you know, diversity, having people in that have been in multiple different industries that have worked in, in, in multiple different marketplaces and in multiple different verticals is frequently in a, a f- fantastic way to bring new innovative thinking into an organization. When I walk in the door, one of the first things I'm looking for is how clear are we in alignment on what this initiative or even what the business itself is supposed to be doing? And so that flows all the way through the organization, right? I mean, you can look at it from a role and responsibility or a department level or an individual contributor level. You know, is everybody in the organization aligned to what the fundamental assumptions are, what the fundamental roles and responsibilities are, and what our overall objectives are? And then you can start looking at what portions of the operations, what portions of compensation are not in alignment to that or are driving different behaviors that are not in support of that overall objective. Because we've got something nebulous called digital transformation that has actually practical, highly practical and strategic implications. What it sounds like is required is, is, is kind of a constant way of checking, scanning, if you will, of what's going on and how, how is that impacting? Because otherwise the temptation to do nothing would, would be strong. Very much so. Everything, you you don't get what you expect, you get what you measure. I can't remember who said that. It's a famous quote, seen it on T-shirts probably. But you have to be very careful about the metrics you set. I was in a a very large, well-known organization, and I asked the executive to look at the KPIs. 23 KPIs. There's no such thing as 23 key performance indicators. You can't prioritize that many. You need three or four, maybe four, maybe five KPIs that, you know, you're watching. You've looked at your dashboard, you've got speed, you've got heat, you've got a few things in there, and that's all you need to know that you're operating at the right, within the right parameters in an automobile. And so you need the same thing for a role, the same thing for a department, uh, the same thing for a company. Uh, and I frequently find that if if we if you if you set your objectives clearly and your metrics clearly, then when you see behavior that's not aligned with that, it's pretty easy to find out where in the system the, the benefits are misaligned. Exactly, because the metrics these metrics frequently create these holding patterns because they're focusing on the wrong things. So I, I actually it's funny you mentioned this because in an interview I did the other day. <laughs> I mentioned exactly the same thing that they've got a hundred hundreds of KPIs and who needs a hundred? You, you just need to know what you're trying to accomplish. So, I mean, did I move the needle today? Did I, did I, did we move the needle from a production standpoint 
Did we solve the crisis? Those things are pretty clear. Did we move it strategically? Not so clear usually. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So nice, nice, uh, nice distinction there because we often have this department in the brain that says strict strategies on the left and, and, uh, or sorry, on the right probably and, and operations are on the left in terms of brains that is. Uh, but in reality, if they're not hinged up, then you're going to become unhinged. Yeah. And, and look, we're bombarded. Uh, there's a, a book out that they did a huge study around the number of marketing messages and decision-making messages that we're bombarded with on a day-to-day basis. So everything from, you know, full on 24, seven, 365 news cycles to, you know, social media, constant content interrupting our, our, our focus and attention. That's, that's outside just even internally, the number of emails people get, the number of Slack messages people are responding to on a day-to-day basis. It, gets us busy, uh, keeps us moving, but doesn't necessarily drive productivity and it doesn't necessarily drive strategic prioritization. And so there's, there's some basic individual disciplines, but also from teams and from departments and from corporations about what's communicated and, you know, what are the processes and procedures that help guide us to, toward more thoughtful execution across all three of those categories. Now, I appreciate what you're saying because one of the things that I've often observed with car repair and, and mechanics is that there's an intuitive nature that goes with experience where, where these, these, these folks who are, you know, really, really immersed in, in operational, very practical realities, but yet they have the capacity to hear something else that's running that, that needs to be addressed. And, and that rarely gets given the the credit it needs to well even it rarely gets given the space that it needs to have in order for it to to be able to be of value and yet that's it's pivotal it's it's crucial well and it's crucial to have that outside point of view i think also uh, as well if you've ever ever think about it when you buy a new car and the first scratch that that car gets you are completely aware of it right you see it the minute that you walk out of the car and then in a week do you see it right yeah. Rarely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've grown used to it. You don't see it anymore. You know, it's, it's not a new thing staring you in the face every time. Whereas when I walk up to the car, if it's a big enough scratch, I'm going to notice it. And so I think we do the very same thing. We, we, you build a culture, you build a productive culture, you, you work to keep, uh, to retain good talent and you build up this team that's, that's executing well and so things get into a regular rhythm and a regular flow of business. And the little things that could be moving off track are, are being uh, making the organization open to a strategic threat are not noticed uh, by the people that are showing up and carrying the load every day. And so being able to step away from that and, and lead a team to look at what their, you know, what their expected competitors are, but also where they're, their, their left field competitors are. Uh, for example, and I think included this in the book, uh, the taxi industry never saw Uber coming. Yeah. Great example. Right. It never saw it coming and it, it, it has made a l- it's done a lot of damage. What's the risk of not adapting to digital transformation at an operational level? Well, 
uh, you end up being the taxi cab company, right? Your medallions are worth half what they were before because someone came in and said, rather than define this as I drive a, a cab for a living, is I, I move people uh, from place to place very easily and taking the friction out of it. And realizing that, you know, the first person that saw, hey, I've got this phone, I could build this app and you could hail a cab and they would actually come to you instead of you waiting on the corner. You know, those kind of insights to what people wanted and worth what they valued and the fact that there's now a tool in everybody's pocket that gave them a different level of access. That's the creative, innovative driver, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anything else you'd like to add, Bill, things that we haven't talked about that you think are important for managers or, or uh, leaders in organizations listening to the program, decision makers? Yeah, I just think, well, I think both from a decision maker or for, even from an individual standpoint, um, recognizing the reality of this massive external force of digital transformation is coming. We need to be looking at our own careers. We need to be looking at our own jobs. We need to be taking the time uh, away to, to read, to stay on top of what's going on uh, in the world of digital transformation. Still, in, the, in, the most, in one of the most recent reports, I still think we're at about 63% or so of folks that are all their digital transformation is focused on the IT side of the equation. And the, the really creative, innovative companies are focusing it across the entire value chain of what they produce, everything from culture to finances to, of course, IT. And so taking the time to step back and look at what is happening in your industry, what is happening on the regulation side, what is happening on the innovation technological side, what are the solutions that people are looking for, what do you personally need to, to brush up on and expand your education in, and then you know, how do you encourage your people to do the same? Because if you've got a team of folks who, who see it as their job, both for their own career sake and for the organization, to stay on top of what's going on in the digital transformation world, you're going you're to be much more likely uh, to see the trend early and be able to adapt to it or at least adopt it. Bill, where do people go for more information for you? Where do the people find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, roeblingstrauss.com. That's R-O-E-B-L-I-N-G-S-T-R-A-U-S-S.com. Bill, thanks very much. Really appreciate the conversation. I know there's not very many spaces where we actually have these conversations on digital transformation and operational stuff. It's usually assumed to be more at the strategic level. So, I think the uh, the capacity to sort of step back and take a look at it. I uh, thank you for your, for your contribution to being able to do that. It's pretty important questions. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Donna Jones. I'm the host of the Inspirational Insights podcast. My work involves developing the or both self and organizational awareness to make those adaptations at both the decision making and the leadership level. So I welcome you to contact me through the website from insighttoaction.com or directly through LinkedIn, D-A-W-N-A-H Jones, and or through Twitter, E-P-D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones. Thank you very much for listening. I'd appreciate it if you could share this uh, video to or this audio to podcast program to people who you know will benefit from the conversation.